0: Well, hey there, Todd. We're back again here and really looking forward to today. This episode is going to be talking about the Loan Group, and I think people will be quite interested to hear what you have to say about um, the beginnings and and whatever else you're going to share with us here.
1: Well, thank you, Rob. Um, it's good to be with you again, and thank you for doing these series. Um, well, so... Uh, one of the seminal experiences of my career, uh, without question, was the 10 years that I was with the Loan Group. And this all uh, started in 1992. I, as we said in the last segments, had been working with Trust 100. And there was internal um, issues with Trust 100 at that time. And so they were going to uh, shut down the Cincinnati office. And uh, Trust 100 was going to move its offices to another city. And I didn't want to leave Cincinnati. And also David Fitzsimmons, who had been one of the original principals of Trust 100, had gotten a job with the Lowen Group, this new kind of um, uh, acquisition company out of Canada, that just kind of popped up out of nowhere in a way in the late mid eighties, I would say. Um, uh, There were um, seven funeral homes that Ray Lowen owned uh, in Canada Uh, He was originally uh, from a very small town, uh, Steinbeck, Manitoba. His father, I think, had been the postmaster and was the local funeral director up there. And so Ray was this entrepreneur. And so he got this started and they were buying funeral homes in Canada. There was no locations in the United States at that time. And so Trustman Hundred was going through his transition. Fitzsimmons, Simmons, they, they relocated. The Loan Group decided to put in a United States office and they chose Cincinnati. A more accurately, Covington, Kentucky, which was right across the river uh, from Cincinnati. And so Fitz and I had always been uh, we always worked very well together and we're, and we're, uh, we're good friends. And so I went over there and interviewed and I don't even remember the job I interviewed for. Um, they had Loewen had just purchased Paragon and Paragon uh, was this smaller acquisition company. You don't hear anything about Paragon anymore. But John Turner and um, Buddy Mays from uh, Tennessee here, uh, Dwayne Schaefer from uh, Texas were uh, the principals of that, as I recall. So I got hired for uh, this education work within the Loewen Group. Now, there was no plan whatsoever uh, about this. None, none. Uh, they didn't, ha- there were no marching orders. And so I just started going to work. And that was in uh, June of 92. So June, July, and August. Now, August, uh, the speaking or the training issue uh, for Lowen came up that I was to go to Hyannis, Massachusetts, to do an in-person training with a firm called Doan Beal and Ames. Doan Beal and Ames had been owned by a man named Bob Studley, his associates for Al Coppathorn and Ed Blute, um, and they had buried all of the Kennedy family. Uh, they were don't be names was where Joseph Kennedy's funeral was at. Um, and where Rose Kennedy's funeral was ultimately going to be held from. And so I went up there and, uh, this isn't any brag. It's just a fact. We just knocked it out of the ballpark. And so that one episode, uh, At 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 Hyannis, Massachusetts, set this this snowball effect for my travel within the North America, right? Because by that time now, Lowen was buying funeral homes in the United States, and um, and 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 it just took off. it, it, uh, I think the thing about Loewen that is sometimes forgotten was what a meteoric rise that company had in a short period of time. And people mistakenly still to this day, those that even remember the Loewen Group, all right, because I gave a seminar the other day and mentioned the Loewen Group and there wasn't one funeral director in the room that had ever heard about it because it's been 20 years. It's been over 20 years. It's been 22 years since Lowen filed bankruptcy. And then uh, SCI uh, made the bid for the purchase stock of the company, um, which was one of the major transitions in the business acumen and business environment of funeral service. But this traveling started up, and one year, I was out of the office 265 days in one year. I was like a million miler delta within a year uh, because um, the, the field, and, 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 that, uh, and for me, that was what I was really interested in. I was never very much in the league of the Wheeler dealers, the, the guys that were uh, probably, you know, projecting stock value. And I, you know, I, I wasn't into that because I didn't really understand it. All right. But my connection uh, at the Loan Group was my work in the field with the funeral directors. Um, and that... 10 year experience of working with uh, literally thousands of funeral directors from, I mean, from the maritime provinces out to San Francisco, uh, we were all over the place. And by the time Lowen uh, folded up, uh, we had a thousand funeral homes in the United States. And interestingly, looking back at it, we had some of the finest funeral homes in North America as part of the Loewen Group. And so it was a, um, it was a spectacularly uh, positive experience. And I had um, all expectations that I was going to retire uh, from the Loewen Group. And so, um, but there were, there were signals, and we're going to get into this um, later on in some other uh, segments of this, but there were signals in the mid-90s that all was not well uh, with the Loewen Group. Now, kind of by default, I, I just fell into it because I had built these relationships out in the field, I ended up kind of almost innocently, certainly not by design, being somewhat of a um, conduit for lead generations for funeral homes that were getting ready to be sold. Now, let me just clarify this because I think the history of it is important. There were, people that had very very disdaining things to say about funeral corporations um and there still are right there's still uh, individuals that you mention a funeral corporation and they they get very agitated and very angry right and we had that uh in the early 90s right we uh, there was no question about it that there but but The idea that we were out there pounding the pavement, knocking on doors to buy funeral homes is simply not true. Uh, We did not do that much bird dogging uh, out in the field. And the reason was, and, and I see it happening again now because it's been 22 years now, so a generation a generation has now aged since Lohan went bankrupt in 99, All right? So the lead up, If so if you go to Cincinnati to the mortuary school and you look at their graduation pictures, you'll see in just some years now, 1939, they had 110 students, 1940, they had 120 students. 1941, they had 99 students. And then 1942, they had 13 students, right? 1943, they had six students. 1944, they had eight students. 1945, they had 20 students. 1946, they had 320 students. 1947, they had 410 students. So, so it can't be underestimated the impact that World War II had on everything to do with funeral service. In fact, in my opinion, what happened in World War II was as uh, critically important as what happened in the American Civil War concerning embalming, preparation of the dead, etc. So you had this, this, um, uh, this, this explosion of funeral directors between 1946 and 1956, just they, hundreds of them on the GI Bill because the government was paying for their education. So if you're 20 years old, You're 24 years old in 1945, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, 40 years later, you're 65 years old and you got a funeral home and your children look at you and say, you know, pop, we love you dearly, but we don't want this kind of life. We, you know, you missed all the volleyball games, you missed all the, uh, the high school events, you missed, you know, because somebody died and you were gone. But, you know, dad, we're really interested in the equity of this business, right? We don't want to live your life, but we really are interested in your money. And I cannot uh, emphasize enough what that generation, absolutely drove acquisitions that families would look the people would look at the funeral home got a, th- a funeral home worth three and a half million dollars the 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 employees will never be able to generate that kind of money uh but the corporations have and so it it was um it was unbelievable looking back at it rob it was unbelievable how that just exploded because in one year, this is no kidding, we did 365 acquisitions in one calendar year, right? And so you had this this gigantic influx. Now, and also Lowen was the new player on the block, right? Uh, Frank Stewart's places, uh, he'd been doing it for a number of years. Uh, Bob Waltrip's uh, out in Houston had been in it since the '60s, right? So Lowen kind of had this luxury of not being um, tainted uh, by all oh, different things that would have happened to the corporation's images over the years. So. It it was a a exciting, uh, prosperous uh, adventure. Um, Lowen just seemed not to be able to, uh, just, just hitting one home run after another. Until all of a sudden you started to see this cycle. And the cycle was an awareness that we were all flying first class and we were all staying. The minimum hotel stay was at a Marriott. And all of a sudden, you begin to f- see this this quarterly tension. In the corporate world, you're all familiar with this. You live by the quarter, by the earnings report at the end of the quarter. And you'd have this. You, it was always... We always made our numbers. It was it was just unbelievable. Um, In fact, I remember we went to a stock analyst meeting in New York City one time, and the Loewen Group promised 25% growth in a year. Well, that's I mean, okay, that's you know, hell, I didn't understand it, but. Uh, but Kroger's, the grocery store, you know, they might predict a 3% growth per year or four. We're predicting 25% and we, and we made it. So, so we became these, this darling of Bay street in Toronto and wall street, in New York city, because the investors, they, 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 they couldn't believe this. So I'd get up there, you know, I was the guy that would get up there and give the talk about the stability of the funeral homes. And I remember doing a stock analyst meeting in New York City, Solomon Smith Barney. And I got up there and I started talking about Thompson's Funeral Home in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and that they had done the funeral for Louis Real. They, guy who was trying to overthrow the Canadian government and the Mounties hung him, uh, out there. And, and, and hell, I might as well, I could have used any damn name that I would think of because they wouldn't have known Louis real from a pipe organ. But the point was, was that Thompson's this happened in 1874 and Thompson's is still in business. And man, you could just see the stock analysts, cha-ching, right? What business can you point to that's in your portfolio that's been serving the same community for 140 years? It just wreaked stability. It wreaked profitability. And so we got more money to buy more funeral homes. Um, but, But then it got to the point of come the end of the quarter, and the rumor started coming out that we're gonna be short on our uh, earnings. For, we're we're gonna be short on the earnings. And then at the 59th second of the 11th hour, some obscure accountant out in Vancouver in Burnaby found $6 million out of, out of nowhere, just $6 million. And I bought I bought that hook line and sinker, right? Because I, you know, not very bright. I didn't realize that there wasn't six million dollars, right? That this was this was uh, creative accounting. These were what Deming calls invisible numbers, all right. And um, so. 99 comes along a 90 99 and they uh got embroiled in several controversies um but in but in the middle of this i write this book all right called winning ways and it was the first book i actually got published by a publisher and actually it it, it was well received in the field the reviews of it were were pretty nice but The glory of the book, if such a thing is possible, was really um, dampened down uh, because the um, lawsuit was brought. Um, Some of the listeners are old enough to remember the lawsuit in Mississippi. And by that time, uh, Ray, um, Mr. Lowen, Ray Lowen, had um, lost his bearings, I thought. Um, and I'll give you an example, and then we'll close this, uh, close this off. Um, the, the, you know, a lot of times people will say the lawsuit is what created the demise of the loaner group. And then they'll say the National Baptist Convention deal was part of the demise of the loaner group. And all that's valid. But let me give you the humanitarian's view of the demise of the Loan Group. We had a a grave digger in Florida, and he was making $17,000 a year. But he was addicted to heroin, and he was an alcoholic. He was just a mess. And he lost his wife. He lost his children. She divorced him, took the kids, and he got fired from his job. So, now freeze that frame. Some of your listeners will recall maybe that Ray Lowen had a yacht. And the yacht was docked in Vancouver Harbor. Right next to the Bayshore West in downtown. Right next to Stanley Park. And uh, that's where we all stayed. When we would go to Vancouver, uh, we were at the Bay Shore West, and we could see Ray's. And every year uh, they had um, this Christmas competition in the Vancouver Harbor for the yachts. They de- deck uh, the halls with balls of holly for the yacht. And so there was a guy that Ray didn't like who was the owner of the Vancouver Canucks. And somehow Ray had decided he wanted to buy the Canucks and didn't get it done. So there was this rivalry. And so the one year the yacht goes out and man, the guy that owned the Canucks yacht, dude, I saw it. It was, I mean, it was like the North pole, right? It was like, say, and Ray lost the, he won and Ray lost. So the next year Ray just goes out overboard and um and the the canuck guy doesn't even enter right he, he doesn't even have his yacht in the contest and ray still loses right so you have this yacht and the yacht was uh, used <clears throat> for um acquisitions so people would come up to vancouver and they would get out on the yacht and they'd be wined and dined. And the chef, the rumor was the chef, the full-time chef at the yacht had, had been the chef at Buckingham Palace in England. So I don't know if that's true, but you had all of this really, really cool, sexy, lives of the rich and famous stuff going on. There was a helicopter on the, on the yacht you know bedrooms it it was just gorgeous and i remember how i was so intimidated to get on that yacht because first of all i'm not much of an outdoors person right and and i'm not a sailor right i'm i'm an undertaker right my preference is the prep room and the funeral home uh and and working but anyway so i have relationships and I'd go out on the yacht and, and we'd go out and sometimes they go 70 miles out from Vancouver Harbor and then they'd come back in. So um, I remember one night, and then I'll get back to the gravedigger in, um, in Florida. Okay. He, the gravedigger went into rehab, got cleaned up. His wife married him again and he got his kids back and he got hired as a gravedigger again, all right? So all this has happened while all this uh, recruiting is going on for acquisitions. So gravedigger guy, some obscure cemetery down in Florida, he gets his life put together again he's making $17,000. So one night we're on the boat and the vino's flowing, right? Everybody's steak and lobster and all this stuff. And all of a sudden the vino gets a little out of control. And Ray decides he wants a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream and a Wall Street Journal. And everybody went through that boat and couldn't find in there. And they send the helicopter into vancouver to get a pint of haagen-dazs ice cream and a wall street journal by the time the helicopter comes back Ray's in bed right it's the night's over with so everybody was in the office was talking about that everybody because the gossip was like in any office it was rampant and then I had a good friend of mine. He's dead now. His name was Tom Stilgenbauer, And he was the CFO of Lohan. And he officed out of Cincinnati. And he came up to the office one day, and we were sitting there. And Loewen was going down the tubes. And they, they started this thing called Ray Days, where you would work a day without any pay. So you can imagine what a morale builder that was, right, out in the field. But then Stilgenbauer came in my office, and he sat down. It looked like somebody shot his dog. And he said to me this, and this, I think, is what really brought Lowen down. It wasn't the lawsuit, and it wasn't the National Baptist Convention. It wasn't the fur coats. It wasn't the diamond rings. It was this. He said, um, did you hear about that yacht trip about the ice cream and the um, newspaper? I said, yeah, hell, everybody's heard about that. And he goes, you know, he said there was a grave digger down in Florida and he uh, got let go because of the financial problems of the company. And I said, well, geez, you know, that's, you know it was happening a lot out there, and Bauer, who was a man of faith, and he was a scrupulously honest man, and of course he got fired eventually uh, from Lowen. Um, he looked at me and he said, "You know how much that boat trip costs the company?" And I said, "No, I, I didn't know." He says, "It's seventeen thousand dollars." He said it was that man's salary, a year's salary. Now, I, I say that because this happened 22 years ago. So it's you know water under the dam. Um, Stildenbauer is not with us anymore. And uh, it was that, it was that ingredients that in my humble opinion, because I was there and I watched it from the sidelines. Hell, looking back, I think we all participated in it because flying first class and staying at Marriott's, you know, um, but it was that gravedigger story that was the litmus test of the inner disintegration of the company. And they couldn't, they, they absolutely could not survive it. But so that's the low end. Uh, account rob todd that's
0: uh you know i know that we have talked uh at great length um, many times about your time with lowen but i've never heard i heard about what was happening in the 90s because i was a young funeral director at that time but how you equated the influx of funeral directors after the second world war and then how that over then their career and how that set up this time of acquisition I've, I've never heard that part. So this is the great thing of why we're having these conversations is that you can educate me and share these stories. And, and then also just the way you paint your pictures of the the gravedigger versus the Haagen-Dazs ice cream helicopter trip. So I really appreciate that. And now for the next
1: episode that we do. I'd like to spend some time about Harry Rath up in Toronto.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, yeah let's tackle... Uh,
1: Mr. Rath. Okay. Thanks for this, right. Todd. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Thank you.